The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I not have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. The Gospel of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask now that as we come to your word, we would hear you speak, that you would give us minds and ears to listen and understand, and hearts that hold fast to everything that you say. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please do sit down. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Uh, what words of comfort do you offer a man as you look at him across uh, the boat with fishing rods cast out over the water when his phone rings and his wife says to him, you have both sets of car keys. What words of comfort do you offer your teenage son when he kicks a ball in the house and breaks his mother's favorite vase? What words of comfort do you offer to a certain college football kicker who in the second overtime misses a field goal from a short distance? What words of comfort do you offer a family who loses a child in a freak accident at a parade? What words of comfort do you offer your closest friends the night before you are going to die? This morning we come to John 14, uh, set within the gospel that says so much concerning belief and speaks so plainly to us about what faith in Christ means. 
Uh, there's every possibility that as we come to chapter 14, uh, it brings to mind uh, memories, perhaps not good ones. Uh, it contains words that have become so familiar to us that have been used for good and for evil. Uh, words like Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And then the controversial bit, no one comes to the Father except through me. And while thinking of controversial things, what's more controversial than verse 12, where Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me, who trusts in me, will do what I have been doing, and he will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. As we jump into John 14, we need to put aside some of that controversy, and we need to see the point at which we enter into the story. We are just hours before Jesus' death. No, I'm not confused. I know that Christmas is coming. Uh, but we, as John introduced for us this morning, are longing for a time when Jesus will come again. Here, just hours before his death, Jesus says these words. And so as we enter into this chapter again, I hope that we will hear these well-known words, these controversial words, but I hope that we will hear them within the context that they were originally spoken, and for us to see that they are all part of Jesus' words of comfort to his followers. Look at how the chapter begins with those words in verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Uh, that really is the theme that runs through this whole chapter and is rounded off right at the end in verse 27 when Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. These words of Jesus in John 14, and in particular in verse 1, must be some of the strongest words of comfort that you could ever hear in any situation. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. Any troubles on your hearts this morning? Any anxieties or distress? Most of us carry something of that around most of the time. Fortunately, they're usually small ones. Sometimes they are bigger ones. And here is this word of comfort. Come and hear it with me. Let not your hearts be troubled. Now, I would suspect that there are a good number among us here this morning who could testify to the effectiveness of these words of Jesus in their own experience. I'm quite sure that again and again and again we could hear of stories of how troubled hearts have found peace taking these words of Jesus seriously. But what I hope that we will all hear afresh as we enter into the circumstances of the disciples on that fateful night and hear these words spoken again, that we will see here troubled hearts finding comfort in the powerful words of Jesus. So what were these circumstances that they found themselves in? Well, Jesus was with his disciples just hours before he was to be arrested, tried, if you could call it a trial, and ultimately crucified. Jesus was well aware that his time had come, and he had been preparing the disciples in various ways for what he was about to go through and what they would experience. Just a few verses earlier, Jesus had said to them, little children, yet a little while while I am with you, which is a fairly plain statement. 
Although it does get a little bit more unclear when he says, you'll seek me just as the Jews did. And I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. But as confused as the disciples must have been, and as they began to grasp something of the solemnity of the hour that was dawning upon them, Jesus speaks these words, don't let your hearts be troubled. Friends, I think that one of the most difficult things in the world has to be to bring comfort, real comfort to a grieving person. Uh, grief was what the disciples were experiencing and were about to experience uh, on an ever-increasing level. And one of the important things that we have to learn in life is that we cannot comfort the grieving. Not really. We cannot, through our words and deeds, however loving or well-intentioned they might be, think that we can make up for the loss, think that we can change the circumstances that we could turn grief into joy. Indeed, so inadequate are we that we tend to withdraw. We have no idea what to say. I was with a, an extended family member a few weeks ago. Uh, she had recently lost her husband at the beginning of the year. She turned to me and said, you know, Jason, the week after I lost my husband, uh, somebody came up, a friend came and said, there's somebody that I'd really like you to meet. She said a couple of months later, she ran into that same friend who just apologized profusely and said to her, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to comfort, and that was just what came out of my mouth. How many of us have done something similar where our gentlest actions are just inadequate? And so you'll notice that it really is a remarkable thing if the words of Jesus here to his grief-stricken disciples somehow turn out not to be trite, if they actually turn out uh, with the ability to bring comfort. That is a truly remarkable thing, for it is something that we cannot do. So the question then really is, how are they words of comfort? How could the words of Jesus be so much more powerful than any words that I can ever come up with? How is it that Jesus can speak a word of comfort that is a word of comfort when I can hardly get the words out? Well, listen to what he goes on and says in verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, would I have told you? that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. I don't know how much the disciples understood that night as Jesus spoke to them like this. Uh, certainly they were going to come to understand that the one who was here giving them these words of comfort knew what he was talking about. Their hearts, uh, troubled as they were because they had picked up from what he had said all along that he was going, may have been just a little bit brightened with these words. But he wants them to understand that he is going and that the manner of his going is deliberate and purposeful and actually for their benefit. By his going, and by his going we mean by his death on the cross, he would prepare a place for them in his father's house in heaven where there is no shortage of rooms. If I'm going to do that, he says, then you can be quite sure that I am going to come back and take you to be there with me. Now there is a, a word of comfort, if ever there was one, isn't there? 
For it's not just a word of comfort, it is a word of comfort from the one who says that I am about changing things. It's a word of comfort from the one who said, I am going, that's why you're troubled, but I want you to understand that my very going is going to change death into life. My very going is to ch going to change grief into joy. My going is to secure you a place in my Father's house forever. Uh, what we have seen in these remarkable words of Jesus is that they carry comfort, and you'll begin to see how they carry comfort in a moment, but they only carry comfort if you can trust him. And so you see when he says, do not let your hearts be troubled, trust in God, trust also in me, it was not a little thing that he was saying. He was not saying, he was not saying, I will sit beside you and hold your hand through it all. He was saying, I'm going to change it all. He was not saying, I am a nice, kind person, and if you only knew my presence, then you can live through your troubles, and you can come out on the other side, and I will comfort you, and I will be there with you, and I will surround you with my love. Whatever truth there might be there, Jesus is not saying that either. He's saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust me, because I am going to change things forever and it actually will be different, different for eternity. Of course, we stand in a very different situation to the disciples who first heard these words of Jesus. They were looking forward to him going. We stand looking back and see what he accomplished. We know that he did go, that he was crucified. We know that he did come back, and when he came back, he was seen by his disciples. Although that coming back, his resurrection, doesn't quite seem to be what he's talking about here. He seems to be talking about another coming back. But the great question for us, it seems to me as we look back on that night and these words, is the same great question for them. Can Jesus be trusted? And it's no small thing to ask that question, not for them then or for us now. Because it's not can Jesus be trusted to be some kind of security comfort blanket, but can he really be trusted to change things? This time of physical separation from Jesus may cause dismay and troubled hearts. We've lived in this space for some 2,000 years as we experience the ongoing pain of life in a fallen world. But the way that we deal with this, the way that we tackle these emotions, the way that we press on in life is by gaining an eternal perspective that Jesus' departure secures our salvation, a place in heaven within the Father's house. Having this eternal perspective is essential both for understanding what Jesus' departure achieves and also for living now as we await his return. Well, Jesus said a lot up to verse 3, and for the most part, it's understandable. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I will come again, and I am going to change everything. But then what Jesus does in a rather typical fashion in verse 4, just to um, make sure that the disciples know that they actually don't know and that they don't understand, he says, you know the way to where I'm going, and that's just too much for Thomas. Thomas just says, verse 5, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? You see, the comfort of Jesus, the comfort that he was bringing was not just words. 
It involved the disciples understanding something. And although it's not complicated, Thomas finds what Jesus is saying to be completely incomprehensible. Uh, not because he isn't smart or clever or has a low IQ. It's just something that the mind, the human mind, finds difficult to take in. And it is at this point that Jesus utters these famous words in verse 6. Hear these words as words of comfort to Thomas' question, how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Where was Jesus going? Well, he was going to be crucified. But where was he going? He was going to the Father. He was going to God himself. And do you notice that unlike any of the religious teachers of the world, at this point, Jesus utters words that are unique to him. He doesn't say like so many others might say, I can show you the way, follow me and I will teach you. He doesn't say that he will teach them the truth about God. He doesn't say that I can tell you the secret to life. He doesn't say here's seven steps to reach this, that, or the other. He says in these words that I think are almost beyond explanation, words that you just have to hear and hear that he means them. He says, I am the way. How can you know the way, Thomas? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And in what he says, we can grasp something of what those words mean, this extraordinary claim. And he goes on in verse 7 and says that if you know him, that if you know Jesus, then you will know the Father as well. But he's not only saying that. He's saying if you don't know Jesus, you cannot know the Father it's not possible for people to be Christian, to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and believe that there are many ways to come to God. Jesus is making it clear that individuals cannot come to God unless they have a personal encounter with Jesus and his words. No matter how religious or how strict our observance or how good our deeds or how orthodox our faith, Jesus is the only way to the Father. For he alone has opened the gate to heaven through his death. He alone has come from the Father and is the truth from God. He alone offers true life that will not perish. And this is not because Christians are arrogant people who think that they have it all right and all figured out and everyone else is wrong, but simply because as Christians, we submit to the word of God found in the words of Jesus and it is Jesus, not us, who said, no one can come to the Father except through him. Well, now Philip's had enough. Uh, he says in verse 8, show us the Father. Show us the Father, and that's enough for us. Philip's easily satisfied, isn't he? He's latched on to something. He says, Jesus is speaking about the Father. He's bringing people to the Father. He's the way to the Father. He's going to the Father. He's going to show us God. And he realizes you can't ask for more than seeing God. In your perplexity, in your troubles, in your grief, in your sorrow, in your anxiety, if you could just see God, if you could just draw back the curtain and get some clarity on what God is doing, then surely you would be satisfied. I mean, Philip says he would be. If only I could see God, that would be enough. And 
Jesus replies, and you can't always work out the tone of replies as you read scripture, but I think that it would be safe to say that uh, Jesus spoke these words with a note of disappointment. He says in verse 9, look down with me, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? In other words, how blind can you be? And we struggle to say that because we sympathize with Philip far too readily. How blind can you be, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Jesus did many other miraculous uh, signs in the presence of his followers, but these are written that we might believe and that by believing we might have life in his name. Do you want to know exactly what God the Father is like? He is exactly like Jesus. Hasn't it dawned on you yet, Philip? Do you want to know God? Well, you know him by knowing Jesus. For Jesus is the way to the Father because you know the Father by knowing Jesus. Jesus is the way to the Father because you trust the Father by trusting Jesus. Now, I don't pretend for one moment that my brief words here explain the profundity of what Jesus is saying. We're, we're just scratching the surface, but I reckon that's enough for us to go on on a Sunday morning in a short space of time. To know the Father is to know Jesus in his words. But then Jesus goes on and just kicks it a little bit further and says in verse 12, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, whoever has faith or trust, the same as the beginning of the chapter, in me will do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now again, you have to picture these words in the context in which they were spoken. These are words of comfort just before Jesus was about to die. Those disciples have been three great years with Jesus. They were extraordinary years. They saw incredible and amazing things. Now their hearts are broken and troubled because it seems like it's all over and they have no idea what lies ahead. And in the midst of these words, this time, these words of comfort are spoken. Anyone who trusts in me will go on doing what I have been doing. In other words, it's not over. But what's he talking about? I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't see uh, the miracles of Jesus happening all over the world still today. Uh, not in the spectacular ways that they happened in the three years of his life. Does that mean that there isn't faith today like there was faith back then? Uh, or, or when Jesus says that anyone who does these or anyone who has faith will do these things, does that mean that uh, this is something that's going to happen in the future? Are we, are we still waiting? Are we not trusting enough? Are we not praying enough? Are we, are we not doing enough? I mean, is he really saying to the disciples, uh, you're, the, the, the sky's the limit. I healed the blind man in John 9. I raised Lazarus from the dead in John 11. Does he really mean this is only the beginning and more spectacular things are to come? And if they are to come, where are those things? What's he talking about? 
Well, fortunately for us, I think what Jesus is talking about, this is one of those moments where the disciples were meant to remember what he had said before. Uh, Fortunately, we don't have to remember it because it was written down for us. It's back in John chapter 5. In a context very similar to John 14, just after Jesus had done a healing of a lame man at the pool, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own on his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. Do you want to know what the father is like? He's exactly like the son. For the father loves the son and shows him all he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. The greater works than these, the phrase that Jesus picks up again in John 14, uh, these greater works that as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to those whom he will. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. These are the words that Jesus picks up in John 14. The day will come, actually the day is here, because I am going to the Father, because of my death, those who trust in me will do what I have been doing and they will do greater things. Because I am going to the Father, people will pass from death to life, not like Lazarus who came out of the tomb only to die again, but will pass from death to life eternal. Now can I remind you one more time that these were words of comfort to Jesus' followers. It's in this context that Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. I I can't help but sympathize with Thomas and Philip because these were difficult words to take in. They're difficult words still today, even after the death and the resurrection of Jesus. But what we need to hear Jesus saying today is that he changes everything. That he changes everything so that grief turns to joy. So that in the midst of trouble there is comfort. Comfort like which you can find nowhere else. And the question then, as the question now, is do you trust him? Because if you trust him, whatever troubles are on your hearts this morning, whatever anxieties, whatever distress, small and everyday, or huge and life-altering, Jesus really does change things. He really changes everything. And he changes it by going to the cross and by rising to life and by ascending and going to prepare a place for us in his Father's house, and then coming back to take us to be with him forever. If those are not words of comfort, if that eternal perspective has not gripped your heart, then those can never be words of comfort. Do you trust him? Do you long for him? Do you pray, come Lord Jesus, come? and find comfort in the midst of life. And while we wait, and while we wait, we continue to do the works, the things that Jesus began to do. Through hearing his word and believing it, we continue to see 
the Father at work. Jesus has not left us or abandoned us. He has gone to prepare a place, left us to continue to do the work he has given us to do through the proclamation of his word, through prayer, and continuing to trust the Father. And so let me ask you one more time, as you enter into this period between Thanksgiving and, and Christmas, as you think about your life, as the year winds down, I know that we all do that. What is my life made up of? Will you hear these words of Jesus? Comfort, comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. Will you take them from the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Let's pray. Father, would you give us an eternal perspective? Would you give us ears to hear the words of Jesus? Would you comfort us? And would we be a people who pray, come Lord Jesus, come. Amen.